welcome again to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there tuning in with us today. We've got a number of you that are right regular listeners, and this program has been a blessing to you. Go over to establishedinthefaith.com and uh, contact us. We'd love to hear from you as well. You can subscribe to the podcast by various different means. You can get us now through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. And if this podcast is a blessing to you, feel free to share it with others. As I know if it's been a blessing to you, then it'll be a blessing to them as well. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18, dealing with the church at Thyatira. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. We're going to continue our study tonight in the book of Revelation. We're going to uh, begin talking tonight about the church at Thyatira. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, that's where we'll be picking it up at tonight. Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up in verse 18. Revelation 2 and 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. The church at Thyatira was located between Pergamos and Sardis. It was a little off the main road uh, that connected the two cities. Thyatira was an industrial city. Uh, it produced a number of products from people from all walks of life, uh, potters, tanners, weavers, robe makers, and uh, dyers. In that part of the world, there is a plant uh, native to that area, and they became known for producing a purple dye. And uh, we know it today as turkey red. They called it purple back in those days, but we call it turkey red today. In the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, when Paul visited uh, Philippi, he met a certain woman there named Lydia. And she was a seller of purple, and she was from the area of Thyatira. And uh, it is believed that uh, she got saved under Paul's ministry, and it is believed that she came back to Thyatira along with some other of Paul's converts, and they evangelized the area, and a church was started there. Uh, so that's what the Lord is speaking to, that church that's located there in Thyatira. Now, this was an actual church that existed but also it plays a part in our church history, as we have talked about before. When the Lord addressed these seven churches, he called them out by name, and he called them out in a specific order. Each one of these churches had some issues and things that needed to be addressed. But at the same time, uh, I believe that when he called these churches out in this order, he was giving us the history of the church. 
laying down what the future of the church would be. And the church at Thyatira represents a time frame that began roughly around 500 A.D. It continues right on up to this hour as the Catholic Church. Now, my intentions tonight is not to beat the Catholic Church. I'm not an expert by any means when it comes to Catholicism. But I do know a few things, and I'll share some of those things with you tonight. Now, the church era right before Thyatira, we talked about the church at Pergamos. It represented a time period of around 200 years, from uh, 300 A.D. up to 500 A.D. And during that time period, a man by the name of Constantine, he was an emperor who had some conflict with some others for the imperial throne. And one night... When he went to bed, he had a dream, and in that dream, he saw a cross in the sky, and emblazoned across the cross were the words, in this sign, conquer. So with that, he was inspired to join the church there in Pergamos, and uh, he became an active member there. And he used his political power to make Christianity the religion of the state. And when that happened, the persecution stopped and the church began to recognize him as a leader. But the problem is he was not very knowledgeable as it pertains to biblical things. And yet the church elevates him to a leadership position because of his prestige, power, strength, ability. But they raised him and put him in that position, but they did, he was not biblically qualified to be in such a position. And they just pretty much accepted what he said as being the truth. And you can see how that can present a problem when the church begins to just accept what a person in leadership says, and they don't check it out according to the Word of God, the church starts to veer away from the Word of God. And he made Christianity the state religion, and with that, the state comes in, and they begin to appoint men and make them bishops over the church who were really not biblically qualified. And this set the stage for the period of Thyatira, which began Catholicism. In the early 600s, the Bishop of Rome was made the first Pope. And Jesus forbid such a practice. If you'll flip over to Luke chapter 22, I'll show you where... Jesus forbid such things as this. A pope is pretty much one man over everything else. All the other churches need to fall in line and what he says goes. Jesus forbid this. Luke 22, move down if you will to verse 24. 
Luke twenty two twenty four, and there also was a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is the chief, as he that doth serve. Uh, so this is not the proper way of church government. But you can see how such has happened when you veer away from the word of God, these things can happen. The Pope is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. The Bible says, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. And there you have it in verse 18 of Colossians chapter 1. He is the head of the body, the church. Jesus Christ is the head and not uh, some man, another that some other man has put into that position. Now, with that in mind, that is the reason why Jesus addressed this church and he said there in verse 18, Revelation 2, in verse 18, he said, I am the Son of God. That is the only time that that phrase is used in the book of Revelation. Jesus is pretty much telling this church, I'm the Son of God. I am God. You don't get any higher than that. If you stop at a pope, you've not gone far enough. So Jesus said, I am the Son of God. And he's in charge, not some pope or priest or any other man that someone has said, this is who you go to. We go to Jesus. Amen. Now, in each one of these churches, in the introduction to the churches, Jesus brings out one or more particular attributes of himself as recorded in the first chapter of the book of Revelation when John had that vision there. And in this one, we see that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Verse 18. His eyes see all and know all. He said there in verse 19, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. If you'll look down in verse 23, about midway that verse Jesus said, Know that I am he that searcheth the reins and the hearts. Those eyes of fire are looking and searching. And he's searching the reins and the hearts. He said, I will give unto every one of you according to 
your works. But now those eyes of fire. If you'll notice there, his eyes are like a flame of fire. That tells us that he is not entirely happy with what he sees going on in the church. If you will look in verse 20, Revelation 2 and verse 20, he said, I have a few things against you. Because you suffer that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. The Lord pulls no punches. He points out, without a doubt, individuals in the church that were causing problems, and he called them by name. Told John about it. John wrote it down in a, in a letter form. This letter was passed around to all the churches, and the pastor of the church was to stand behind the pulpit and was to read this letter from John to the congregation. Can you imagine sitting there in the church at Thyatira on Sunday morning? The place is packed to capacity. The preachers just received this letter from John, the last of the Lord's disciples. Everybody's excited to hear what John has to say. And the preacher stands up behind the pulpit and he begins to go off into this direction. And he has to call names. I don't think I'd want to be there. (laughs) I don't think I'd want to have to deal with that. And no doubt people sitting there in the church, they knew who they were. Uh, Some of them probably politely got up and walked out the back door. (laughs) But uh, at any rate... We have to keep in mind the Lord was not only addressing a situation there in the church at Thyatira, but he was also addressing what the future of the church would be. And in this, it has a spiritual meaning behind it. So not only uh, do I believe there was a literal situation going on there in the church, but the Lord was pointing to a time in the future when the church would be going off in the wrong direction. Um, Let's take a look at Jezebel. You all remember Jezebel in the Old Testament. King Ahab uh, was king over the northern kingdom of Israel, and he married a woman by the name of Jezebel. It's been said that this woman was so attractive. She was so good looking and she dressed so provocative that every man in Israel lusted after her and would do whatever she wanted done. And she used these attributes about herself to get her way. And she seduced Israel away from Jehovah God to worshiping 
paganistic gods and idols and whatever the case. She looked good, but she was not qualified. Constantine, what he did coming into the church and becoming active in the church, making the church the state religion, stopping persecution, all of these things look good from the outward appearance. But just because a person is doing some good things does not mean that they are qualified to be in a leadership position. Jezebel looked good, but she was not qualified. And any time the church begins to accept men as leaders based on prestige, political power, education, or whatever the case may be, rather than uh, looking at whether he's biblically qualified or not, the church is headed for trouble. And in this case, when the church did this, it entered into the dark ages. Not only did the church go into the dark ages, but the whole world went into the dark ages. It was a departure from the Word of God in listening to men that were not qualified or biblically qualified to be leaders in the church. And during this time period, paganism and idolatry came into the church. Worship in the church became more ritualistic. Worship of the virgin and child and the mass became a part of the church services. If you'll notice in verse 19 of Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said, I know your service. So not only was Jesus looking at their works and those other things there, but he was looking at their services, church services. Teaching of praying to the dead and purgatory was also embraced by the church and mass was said for the dead. Just as Jezebel of old killed Naboth and persecuted God's prophets, the Catholic Church instituted what is known as the Inquisition. Anybody that did not believe the way the church said... They were considered to be a heretic, and they were locked up for the rest of their life or either burned at the stake. And that's what the Catholic Church did during this particular time. Now, there were many who were true to the Lord, and they stood against these things, but they were persecuted and killed. Perhaps that's why the Lord said, if you'll look down in Revelation 2, verse 24, that's why the Lord said, But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. Notice verse 25. 
but that which you have already, hold fast till I come. The Lord is saying that the Catholic system is here to stay. He also said it will go through the great tribulation period. If you'll look at verse 21. He said, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. The great tribulation period is going to do a lot of things. One of the things that it will do, those that are straddling the fence, it is during, if they make it after the rapture, you got to keep in mind when the rapture takes place, there's going to be a lot of unmanned vehicles going down the road. Airplanes with no pilot. So there's going to be a lot of wrecks and a lot of destruction when the rapture takes place. So people that survive the rapture and they're left back here to go through the seven-year tribulation period. One thing they will be faced with is a decision. Are they going to repent and accept Christ as their Savior, or are they going to continue down that road that they've been going? Jesus said here, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. So, and also, if you'll notice there, I will cast her into a bed, and those that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. So the Catholic Church will not make it at the rapture. They will not go in the rapture. And those that are Catholic will be left here to go through the great tribulation period. Now, like I said, I don't want to beat Catholicism. But let me just put all of this together. Any preacher or church that teaches a way of salvation other than Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross, they have that spirit of Jezebel. Let me say that again. Whether it's Catholicism or what Protestant church may be teaching or preacher, whoever is teaching a form of salvation... Anything other than Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary to save your soul, they have that spirit of Jezebel. And all of those that sit under that teaching are the children of Jezebel. And what did he say? I will kill her children with death. Not only will these people miss the rapture and go through the great tribulation period, but they will also be killed with death, the second death, which is the lake of fire. 
All right, verse 26, he said, He that overcometh and keepeth my works until the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Interesting to note here, it was during the time of the Inquisitions, the Catholic Church exerted its power over the nations. But Jesus said here, those who overcome, that he would give the true power over the nations. He that overcometh. Let me ask this question. How do you overcome? He said that to every one of the churches. To him that overcometh. To him that overcometh. The Catholic Church and even a lot of our Protestant churches today teach salvation by works. The idea that when you stand before God one day, God's going to weigh your good deeds against your bad, and if the scale tilts toward the more of your good deeds, then God's going to let you into heaven. That's that's pretty much the world's view of being saved, and it's not only taught in the Catholic Church, but a lot of Protestant churches today as well. Just do good. Just do good. And let me point this out too. If you'll look back up uh, in verse 19, the latter part of that verse, he mentions works twice. In verse 19. But in the latter part of that verse 19. He said the last to be more than the first. What is he saying? He's saying that in the last days. Not only will the Catholic church be promoting good works. But the Protestant churches are going to be going right down this same line. Do good works. If you want to be saved, come to church every Sunday. Read your Bible every day. You need to fast so much. You need to, you know, there was a time in uh, Catholic history, I don't know if it goes on today or not, but they were literally telling people, if you'll give so much money to the church, then you're saved. I don't know if they still do that today or not. I I think someone said that, if somebody dies and you're not sure of whether they went to heaven or not, they're floating out here in purgatory somewhere. If you'll bring so much money, uh, then the priest or whatever, they'll pray them out of purgatory on into heaven. I don't know how true that is, but like I said, I ain't no expert. But we're living in these last days where good works is being promoted more and more. That's the reason why I think Jesus mentioned it the word works twice, and he said the last is more than the first. Now, I believe we should all do good works, but good works don't save you. There's nothing wrong with doing good works. But when a person begins to put their faith in the doing of those good works to save them, that's where the problem's at. And we got a many one today 
their faith is misplaced. Their faith is not in Christ and Him crucified as much as it is their faith is in what they're doing. They're helping the little lady cross the street and handing out bottles of water and food drives and doing all this kind of stuff. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, he said, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus said in verse 26, Keep my works unto the end. He that keepeth my works. It's not so much what you do or what you don't do as it is you keeping what Jesus Christ has already done for you at Calvary. Now, the second attribute that the Lord mentioned up there in verse 18, his eyes were like a flame of fire, but his feet were like unto fine brass. See that little part there? Feet like unto fine brass. Jesus Christ has walked in this world. He has been where you and I have been. He has been through the trials. He's been through the test. He's been tempted in all points just like we are, yet without sin. And he is our great high priest. He is our advocate with the Father. Not some man with a robe, and you go sit in a little box and sit down and start talking about all your sins. That ain't going to do you a bit of good. Our advocate, our great high priest is Jesus Christ, and we go straight to him. That is the work. He said, keep my works, his finished work. Keep that. Put your faith in that, and you will be an overcomer. Then in verse 28, he said, I will give unto him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.